All right, this morning we're going to wrap up the book of Hebrews. Okay, so if you want to open your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to look at verses 8 through 16 and 20 through 25. And I hope you've enjoyed Hebrews. We've kind of been in Hebrews for a minute, right? In fact, he's going to say today he's written to us briefly, and I'm like, well, we've been studying this since September, right? And I just want to remind you of a, a, a few things that have gone on in the last five months while we've been going through Hebrews. We're a different church. You know, we started out by changing out some of our CLT members, and we increased that team to 10. We have installed two new elders, Tono Rodriguez and Ker- uh, Mike Kirby. Kevin, our senior pastor, moved on to his next assignment in Nebraska. In fact, I talked to him this morning, actually. And we celebrated Christmas somewhere in the midst of all this, right? And then beyond that, we have now, you guys have worked with the elders in CLT to elect a new senior pastor. We've done a lot of things while we've been studying the book of Hebrews. It's pretty cool to see how God has been working in us, and so I hope you've enjoyed this book over that time. But there's one thing that has not changed through this whole process, and I bet you can guess what it is, is that Jesus is Lord, and this is his church, right? These things remain. And as we close out these last verses of Hebrews 13 today, the author actually has a very simple message that he wants us to to leave with us, and this is it. He's going to say to us, stay focused on the gospel. Don't ever move off of this. Stay focused on the gospel. Life will change constantly, and yet the gospel remains the same. It's the gospel that saves us and the gospel that sanctifies us and will see us all the way to the end of our journey. And so Hebrews 13 has been giving us very practical ways to live a life of worship in response to all the gospel that he has talked about before, and this final admonishment of worship is stay focused on this message, right? Don't move off of it. And the, and the, the author has told us lots of things, right? He, he's been telling us the whole time, Jesus is greater. He's greater than all things. He started in verse 1-1 telling us that Jesus is the greater and final word of God. This is it. God says nothing else beyond who Jesus is, He spoke through the prophets and now his son. He tells us that Jesus is greater than all created things, including angels and spiritual beings that we might look at. And then he tells us that this son of God is actually God himself, having come to us in human flesh, who has come to be a better and greater priest, who has made a better and greater sacrifice of his own blood, in a better temple that's in God's heavenly temple, and he is now administering a better covenant for those that make him Lord. For all those that would confess him as Lord, he would cleanse them from their sins and make them holy. And now he sits at the right hand of God, Hebrews tells us, and he's praying for every one of us. This is Christ. This is the gospel. There's nothing beyond this, and the author is telling us, let's stay focused on this message, okay? And so how do we do that? I think he tells us three things in these passages about how we stay focused on the gospel, and I like it. Jen was preaching my sermon this morning. She didn't even know it, but the first one is this, make Jesus 
the foundation of your life. Okay, look at Hebrews 13.8. Here's what it says. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Okay, let, let that sink in for just a minute. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and on one level, this is another claim to Jesus' divinity because God is the only unchanging thing in our whole universe. Everything we know, only God is unchanging. The only thing that is constant and unmovable. And this truth is meant to form in us an ongoing foundation of faith. See, if Jesus is unchanging, then your salvation is sure. Nothing can change that. Nothing can separate it. If you follow Jesus, you will not be disappointed. He will be faithful to all his promises. He doesn't change. He is immovable. And this is a great hope in the midst of our ever changing world. You know, does it feel like the world has just gotten a lot squishier? (laughs) Right? It feels like there's hardly anything you can stand on that lasts and is solid. You know, I I had this experience a couple times, and maybe you have too, where I go to have my computer worked on, or maybe you go to have maintenance on your car, and your car, your computer's about five years old, and the guy's like, I cannot believe how old this piece of equipment is. How do you put up with such a thing? Right? And you're like, well, because I don't make that much money and I need to make this thing last, right? But it's only five years old and yet the world constantly changes, right? The new things become old quickly and out of date. And we see that our relationships will change over time. Politics change. Families change. Jobs change. Health changes. Leaderships change. Churches change. And not only will things change, but often if we've placed our hope in these things, remember Hebrews said, all things will be shaken. If we place our hope in shakable things, then they will fail us. Right? Government ultimately fails us. Leadership fails you from time to time. The church will even fail you at times. And guess what? You will fail you at times. (laughs) And we all feel that. And so it's easy to get disillusioned when major forces and things that we have put our hope in fall apart and we can cause us to lose hope. In fact, some people begin to walk away from the Christian faith when when the church seems to have failed them because they go, "It, it just can't be real. But maybe we have misplaced our hope in the things of the world and not in a sure foundation, right? In an unchangeable, unchangeable God who is Christ. We've had the wrong foundation for our lives. As we said in Hebrews 12, 27, he says, look, there's coming a day when everything will be shaken, but there is one thing that will remain, and that is the gospel and the kingdom of God. And so Hebrews reminds us here again at the end that Jesus remains the same, and for those who put their faith in him, they will never be shaken. He will see you all the way to the end when we make him our foundation. 1 John 5, 4 through 5 says it this way for us, and I love this verse. It says, For everyone who has been born of God, they overcome the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? 
See, it's not about coming up with strength in our own self to make it through all the things of life. It's about placing our faith in something sure and immovable that will see us through the things of life. And that thing is Christ. No matter where you come from in life, whatever you're facing, solid footing is to be found when you make Jesus the foundation of your life. You know, I like this band called Judah and the Lion. Does anybody know that band? Okay, there's like one person. Great, right? And they have this song. It's called Everything Changes. And it talks about how life changes. We grow up, right? We go to different places. Our families disperse, different states, different jobs, different lives. And he has this refrain that he says, ain't it funny how everything changes, right? Ain't it funny how everything goes? But then reflecting on the fact that God never changes, he breaks into this explosive chorus and he says, but you don't change. You don't change for anything. You won't be moved. No, you don't change. You don't change for anything. You are always true. This is the Christian life. This is what it looks like to put faith in Jesus, to make Jesus the foundation of your life, that he is a hope that gets set in our hearts that will never be moved. And Hebrews says, make Jesus the foundation of your life. So what's the foundation of your life? Something that will be shaken or the solid ground of Christ? That's what he's asking us to do at the end of this book. Make Jesus your foundation. And I can say that I gave my life to Christ in 1981. I made Jesus the foundation of my life. And he has seen me through everything of my life so far. And I have faith that he will carry me through the rest. Plant your life on Christ because he will never change. Everything else will, but he will remain the same, and his salvation is sure. So let's look at the next step the author gives us on how we are to stay focused on the gospel. And this this is it. He says, live in the grace of God. Okay, so let's look at Hebrews 13, 9 through 16. Here's what 13, 9 says. It's going to contrast two things for us. It says, do not be led away from the gospel, By diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. So here he commands us to stay focused on the gospel by avoiding strange teachings and things that might carry us away from the gospel, and we do that by being strengthened in grace. So he's, he's presenting a problem that we might get carried away by things, and the solution is to focus again on grace. So the problem here in Hebrews was that some believers in Rome, they were Jewish background believers, and they were being carried and lured again back into Judaism, that they would follow the commands of the law or be enticed into other Jewish mysticisms that maybe there was something better and more powerful that would bring more blessing in their life than the gospel. And they were going back to a works-based righteousness. And listen, this is really the default of the human heart. Like when we think about God, we think, what do I need to do to make God happy with me? That's, That's our natural bend. This is what religion is about, right? What do I need to do to make myself acceptable to God? But that's not grace, right? And the author says if, if you slide into those things, right, if you, you fall into a workspace righteousness or you go beyond the gospel to something else, it hasn't benefited them. 
Actually, it has harmed them. And just like these believers in Rome, we're often tempted to fall back into either our cultural religion that we came from, things we learned as a kid, or go beyond the gospel to kind of the latest cultural, spiritual sensation. You know, Friday night at our men's deep dive on hermeneutics, which was fun, by the way. Uh, I encourage you to come to those. You know, we were talking about the passage we were looking at about how we are tempted to be moved away from the gospel. And I can think of kind of the gospel of a inclusivism that has been prevalent in our society for the last couple years that would take us off what Jesus has actually said in the Bible, or, or maybe even begin to find our hope in, in, in reforming government and into Christian nationalism, that, where that's our hope instead of Jesus coming back and, and saving the world. Or sometimes we go beyond the gospel, we're looking for some more ecstatic, spiritual experience that we would have more feelings and see crazier things. But he's saying all these things, they're taking you off the main point. And the way you get back and stay focused on the gospel is to stay focused on grace. This is it. This is all of it. We never get beyond this. In fact, Hebrews 13.9 says, here's the solution. Instead of following these strange teachings, it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. A pastor asked me last week, I was at lunch with this pastor and their church is struggling and they're, they're working through a lot of things, and he says, why has Risen Life been so successful? You ever thought about this? It's a good question. What might you say? My answer was that we have chosen to focus on the grace of God. That's why we're successful, right? It's not necessarily what we do or who we are, but it's that we have set this gospel message that we are saved by grace, we live in it, and then we extend it to each other. That's why we've been successful. And this is something that we cannot lose in the days ahead, that we stay focused on the gospel. You know, I think this began when Pastor Kevin came in 2008, and he came here and he lost his mind. Actually. <laughs> and, and the church had a decision. Do we get rid of Kevin or do we keep going? And they said, you know what? We're going to stand by him in grace and hope that God heals him. And as we stood by him for a year, we learned some things about grace that I think have, have marked our church, and we don't want to lose that. We want to stay focused on this, because there's nothing else that changes the human heart but God's grace. Nothing you can do, only God's grace. Titus 2.11 makes it real clear to us, 2.11 and 12. It says, for the grace of God has appeared in Christ, and then it does two things. First one, bringing salvation for all people, and then second one, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So grace, we're saved by grace, right? This is, this is how we are saved, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. You're saved by grace through faith. This is not your own doing or by your own works. It's God's gift to you, right? We, there's nothing we could have done to make ourselves acceptable to God. And yet God came, paid the price of our sins in Christ so that we could come to him and then he has a free offer to us to be saved. Saved by grace. Don't get over this one. And then it also tells us though that grace is then what trains us to grow in Christ. 
And the way we experience that is when we sin against God and we come to him again and again and again, he extends us love and forgiveness. And as we experience that, man, that makes your heart sing, right? Have you ever experienced that when God has forgiven you and you know it, you're, there's no reason he should forgive you and it's only because of his grace? That makes your heart sing. You just you want to follow him. And we do this over and over and over again and we grow in Jesus because of our experience of grace. So how do we live in that grace? I think this is a good question. I think when you sin, the first thing you've got to learn to do is run faster and faster back to Jesus, right? Our tendency is to run away like Adam and hide, but God's grace says, come to me and be clean. <laughs> I want to help you. Learn to go to God quicker and quicker in your sin so that he can heal you. Secondly, this is a big one, when someone sins against you, then be quick to forgive them as God has forgiven you. That's how we begin to live in grace as a church, right? When you begin to extend grace to somebody else and their sin as God has done it to you, then you will grow in grace yourself, and so we need to do that. And finally, commit ourselves to a body of believers that can encourage us weekly by week to follow Christ. And what you'll see is you'll never get to the bottom of God's grace offered to you. This thing just gets bigger and deeper and wider the longer you dive into it. Never get over the gospel. Never get over God's grace. We also see here that living in the grace of Jesus is really countercultural. Look at what the author of Hebrews says in verse 10. He says, look, for those of us that are in Christ, here he's going to compare Jesus' sacrifice of himself to the day of atonement in the Old Testament. He says, look, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent, meaning the tabernacle, have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sins are burnt up outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So again, here he's comparing and contrasting Christ's sacrifice to the Old Testament day of atonement, that they would make atonement for the sins of Israel, and then they would take the sacrifice outside of the camp of Israel, and they would burn it up. And Hebrews is telling us again, Jesus is the greater sacrifice on the greater day of atonement. He has made the sacrifice for your sins, and now he has been taken outside the camp to be totally consumed by God. And he's saying, so we have a choice. We'll be in one of two places. Will you stay with the people in the tent that are working at works righteousness? Or will you go outside the camp and follow Jesus and accept his sacrifice on your behalf? What are you going to do? He's saying, I'm telling you, you ought to go follow Christ and experience the grace that comes through his sacrifice. And when you do that, you actually identify yourself with a heavenly city and citizens of that city that also are living in grace together. And that makes you not like the culture. That makes you unlike the world, even unlike other religious people. This sets you apart. This grace marks us and sets us apart. When you follow Jesus, you will stand apart from your culture, and you will pay the price for being one that trumpets his grace. 
In a world of achievement and posturing and pride, grace sure seems offensive, even unjust, right? You'll bear the reproach that Hebrews 13, 13 says you will as you stand with Jesus. So if we're going to stay focused on the gospel, we must constantly identify with him and his people no matter what the culture says. So where is God calling you in your life this week to stand up and say, I'm someone under grace, I'm with Jesus, and I don't care what you say, right? I am focused on the gospel. Finally, now as we go outside of the camp, you might say, well, what are we supposed to do out there? And Hebrews 13 has been showing us we're to live a life of worship in response to this gospel. Look at verses 15 and 16 here. It says, Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is this, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And then do not neglect to do good to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So as we've said, all of being a disciple of Christ is having a, a life of worship. This is what we say on our sign back there, right? A risen life is a life of worship. That we look at what the gospel is, we give our life to it, and then now we live for Him. In fact, we have freedom to live for Him because all of God's requirements have been satisfied in Christ. And our life becomes a life of worship. We have freedom to enjoy God and His mission and live it out in every area of His life. So what area of your life is God calling you to turn back to Him in worship? Right? Where can you begin living for Him in new ways? What are the good things He has uniquely created you to do so that you bring your unique worship to Him as a follower of Jesus? Now, we can get excited to do things for God and should, right? But we can also get easily discouraged on our own frailty and our own failures. And this is where the end of the book of Hebrews is really important. Because if we're going to make, if we're going to make, or if we're going to stay focused on the gospel, if we're going to make faith in Jesus the foundation of our lives and live in the grace of Christ, then this third thing is really important. We have to live for God and the power that he provides. Look at verses 20 and 21. It says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in us that is which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. See, the author's calling us to a life of worship, and now you know what he's doing? He's praying that God would empower you and equip you to do it. Because you can't do it on your own. You need the strength of God. You need the power of God in your life so that you can actually live for Him. That's what the Bible promises when it says we receive the Spirit. You're receiving God's Spirit that's going to work in you at these things. And you've got to see this. This is really, really important and honestly, truly amazing what He's telling us right here. He's reminding us and praying for us that the power God infuses in us is the same power with which God raised Christ from the dead. Look at this. He's saying, 1320, right? God who raised Jesus from the dead, he's the one I'm asking to equip you. 
Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, Paul says the same thing. He's praying. He's like, I want you to know the immeasurable great power that God shows towards us who believe. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God. Romans 4, 17, Paul says, God gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that did not exist. This is the power that the author of Hebrews wants in your life so that you can do the things God has asked of you. Listen, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, He can save you from your sins and He can break the chains of sins that are in your life. Now I'm preaching Scott's sermon that he was saying earlier. Listen, Christian, there are no impossible situations when you're a Christ follower. And it's not because of who you are and what you can muster up in yourself, but because of who God is in you and His power. John 8, 34 and 36, which Scott was quoting earlier, says, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. But if the Son sets you free, then you will be free indeed because of God's power working in us. Where do you need God's resurrection power this morning in your life? Where have you stopped believing in faith that God has the power to change your life? Right? It's not about you. It's about what God's doing in you. Right? Where do you need God to work in you by His power? If God can raise Jesus from the dead, then He can also use you to advance His kingdom. You know, I've been reflecting this week. It's kind of a crazy thing that God would call somebody like me to lead a church like this, right? I'm a pretty regular guy, those, that know, those of you that know me. I'm sin-ridden man. I'm beset with mental and physical weakness, and it's only going to get worse the older I get, <laughs> right? How does a guy like me lead a church like this? Because of the power of Christ in me. It's not about who I am. It's about who Jesus is in me. And it's about who Jesus is in you for what God's calling you to do. Not about who you are. So commit yourself to live for Him and watch Him work in you. It's a simple prayer. Tonos prays this all the time with me. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Right? Here I am, Lord. Use me. And He can use you to bring good things and glory to His name in this world. So what's God calling you to do for Him? How's He calling you to live for Him? Is it to finally share the gospel with one of your friends or your neighbors or your co-workers? I'm terrible at it unless Jesus is working in me. Is it to start serving at the church in some new ways? Lord, give me strength to work with those three-year-olds, right? That takes the power of God, by the way. Is it to go out into our community and begin care for the poor and the needy? Some of those that some of you wouldn't even stop to give the time of day. And God's saying, go help that person. I'll give you the strength. Is it to extend grace and, for, to, and forgiveness to people in your life? Right? We need the power of God to do that. We can't forgive on our own. If you're going to love your enemy, it's going to take the very power of God, not yourself. Is it to go into ministry and become a church planter and pastor? I think there are some of you in here that need to become pastors. God's calling you out and you need to take a step but it takes the power of God to do that. It's not you. Is it to go overseas and serve cross-culturally, sharing Jesus as a missionary? 
Is it just to live a godly and upright life in this culture? That takes the very power of God, right? The same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is what God will equip you with to live for Him in this life. But you've got to make Jesus the foundation of your life. And God will do great things through us to defeat sin, call us to kingdom work, give us the hope in the midst of impossible situations if we will put our faith in Him. But I get it. We're weak. <laughs> we feel faithless. Life is hard. It reminds me that Jesus in the garden before his crucifixion, he asked his disciples to stay awake and pray with him, right? Come do some good things with me for the kingdom. Just for a second. And Jesus knows they're about to be tempted and deny him, and he wants them to be prepared. But Jesus finds the disciples asleep. And what does he say to them in Matthew 26? He wakes them up and says, Guys, could you not just watch for one hour with me, right? And then looking at him, he follows it up and says, I know the spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. God knows we're weak, okay? And maybe you're here this morning and you feel really weak, been tempted to give up on God. Sin seems undefeatable. The circumstances and pressures feel like they're closing in. And you feel like you can't make it. And God says, plant your foundation on me. Attack these things in my strength. I have the power of resurrection to give you new life, to break the sin, to do the impossible. Just put your faith in me. It's all about God's power in us, not what we can muster. I love this poem in 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. I think it, and Banjee can come on up. I think it encapsulates how we need to think about this as we ask for God's power. It gives kind of a summary of the Christian life. It says in verse 11, If we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. Here that speaks to us giving up of our life and taking on a new life that is in Christ. Then it says, If we will endure with Him, we will also reign with Him. That means persevere, Christians, because there's a really good reward coming. But it also says if we deny him, he will deny us. If we turn our back on the gospel, Jesus will turn his back on us. But it also says this at the end, that if we're Christians, it says we are, if we are faithless, right? if we've gone weak and tired, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful to himself because he can't deny himself. If Christ is in you, you have the power to live the life God has asked you to live. You won't be defeated. God will be true to the spirit that he has put in you to save you. So I want to encourage you this morning. If you're there this morning, you're feeling weak, powerless, cry out to God. <laughs> Ask him to empower you. Right? Ask him to do the same work that he did to raise Jesus from the dead, to raise up your life and follow him. As we come to a close here, the author of Hebrews says this in the last two verses. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. <laughs> you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I see you, whom, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. 
And then he says this, grace be with you all. See, the author of Hebrews closes his letter by pointing us back to God's grace. This is what it's all about. Staying focused on the gospel throughout our whole life. He's saying, stay focused on this gospel. That God in his love came down in Christ to save us from our sins, to make a way back into relationship with him, to make us holy and clean when we confess his name, and to give us power to live out what he's asked us to do. So now he invites us to join him in his kingdom, all because of his grace. So let's put in our faith in Jesus. He never changes. Make him the foundation of your life. Let's stay focused on the gospel by living in this grace. Run to God's grace in your sin and extend it to others when they sin against you. And then let's walk in the very power with which God has raised Christ from the dead and do great things for him. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your goodness to us, that you loved us enough while we were your enemies to send Christ to die for us. God, many of you of us in here have confessed Jesus as Lord, and God, we're asking now that you help us to make Jesus the foundation of your lo- our lives and that we would stay focused on your gospel throughout everything we do. God, if there are those here that don't know you this morning, I pray that they would, you would touch their lives by your spirit, they would confess you, and they would find the healing and the peace and the love that you provide in a relationship with you. And they would experience your power that breaks the chain of sin and so many things. Father, we thank you for this morning. In Christ's name we pray.